We have almost forgotten that we are in a great mortal combat. The battle of the forces of good and the forces of evil. Today we are beginning either to domesticate the devil or else to deny him. God's definition of himself is I am who I am. The devil's definition of himself is I am who am not. He is most powerful when he is denied. Welcome to Wednesday Ward College. My name is Jesse Romero. I think we're on with Kyle Clement. Uh, he's supposed to be my guest on today. Kyle, are you on, my friend? I'm here, Jess. All right. Kyle is on duty. Hey, Kyle, you know what? On Wednesdays, by the way, there's a lot of priests around the country that listen to War College Wednesday. Just want to let you know that uh, it seems to be very top-heavy with Catholic priests on Wednesdays. Uh, no pressure. No pressure. Just, uh, yeah, just uh, FYI. By the way, for the rest of you, this month is uh, dedicated to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Let's make sure that we're firing off our, our rosaries every single day. Remember, every single day, pray the rosary or you're not on the team. And uh, Kyle, what about the retreats? What retreats are open still? Uh, we've, we're uh, promoting this on VMPR. Is uh, the Reclamation Theology Retreat, is, is there still openings? Yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity to talk about the retreats, Jesse. Uh, Father Riffiger and I will be at Louis Lake Lodge or Lewis Lake Lodge up in the Wind River Mountains, just out of Lander, Wyoming, uh, for two retreats. And then I will do a Reclamation Theology Retreat. The dates for the Reclamation Theology Retreat are the 12th of June through the 17th of June. The next week, Father Riffiger does a father-son retreat the 19th of June through the 24th of June. Then the following week, Father Ripperger does a mother-daughter retreat uh, the 26th of June through July the 1st. You can go to libercristo.org, L-I-B-E-R-C-H-R-I-S-T-O.org and request more information on these retreats, on the pricing and various other aspects of the retreats. There is a few places left for the Reclamation Theology Retreat. I think um, I was told there were six places left there. We highly encourage couples to attend that. Um, the Father-Son Retreat, there is one Father-Son spot left out of all uh, for those. And that's a small, it's a small intimate gathering. Uh, you'll get to spend a lot of time with Father. Um, and uh, he's, uh, he's really... Um, enthused about these father-son, mother-daughter retreats where we talk about the preservation of our faith, right roles of men and women. Um, and then the father-son retreat has one spot low open uh, for one father, one son. And then the mother-daughter retreat has uh, three mother-daughter spots open. So that's pretty full, uh, but please consider uh, giving us um, an inquiry on that and consider spending that time with us up at beautiful Louis Lake uh, in the Wind River Mountains of Wyoming. Thank you, Jesse. Awesome. You got it. Kyle, got a, we got a couple of questions uh, that'll probably take the entire show because they're not, <clears throat> they're not simple. I mean, they're just not, uh, you know, one, one sentence responses, but uh, we have a lot of listeners that have been asking different questions. And one of the questions that keeps coming in is people want to know 
regarding the actress Megan Fox. She, several weeks ago, she came out publicly and said that she drinks her boyfriend's blood. His name is, uh, I guess, Machine Gun Kelly. He's some type of a rapper. Uh, And I guess vice versa, he drinks her blood as well. So the question from a lot of listeners to the War College, they're asking, where does this practice come from? And what sin would this fall under? Uh, Because somebody actually sent me an email, said, Jess, I've done the same thing. I've repented. I've confessed. I didn't know, you know, when I was a teenager, I I got involved in these practices myself. Uh, But I want to know in my mind, what sin is this? So, Kyle, there you go. So it's it's multiple sins. First of all, let's talk about what it is um, categorically is it's straight up Satanism. And so let's define Satanism the way our Lord defines Satanism is that which is against the holy will of God. Um, And the primary example is the scriptural example. The scene is Caesarea Philippi. Our Lord Jesus is speaking to the apostles and he says, who do you say that I am? Now, interestingly enough, in the overlay and and thick tapestry of Catholicism uh, and from the you can't make this up file, our Eastern brothers have always said that this spot, the, the large rock outcropping at Caesarea Philippi, where this scene occurred, was the height to which the devil took Jesus and said, uh, see all of this, bow down to me, worship me, and I will give you all of these kingdoms. And so they say this is the the same spot. Hmm. And so where Jesus was asked to deny his identity, he now asked the apostles in the same location, um, who do you say that I am? He's looking for them to to affirm his identity. Go ahead. That makes sense. Yeah, go ahead, Kyle. And so the the response from Simon um, is, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so in that statement, you have to to see uh, that foundational statement and Jesus' reaction, you are right, and this has been revealed to you from above, meaning by divine inspiration and revelation, do you recognize me, Jesus speaking, as the Christ, the son of the living God? And upon this rock, I will build my church, and he changes Simon's name to Peter, Capus, at this moment. We as Catholics see this as the institution of the papacy. This is the moment at which the papacy is instituted. Jesus names a vicar, um, his representative, um, and the statement, the foundational statement, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Why is this important? Because all of this ushers in and opens the path that will be fulfilled in the Eucharist. And so that's why we're, we're talking about it in this context. To understand what, what these people are doing is a mockery of sacrificial theology. It's a mockery of the Eucharist. It's a mockery of the lifeblood of all of creation. But Jesus says, and I must go, his very next statement, is I must go to Jerusalem to suffer and die. So he's just been identified as the Christ, the son of the living God. Now he states his mission, which is sacrifice. And immediately, Peter, newly minted Pope, issues the first papal statement, oh no, not you, Lord, Mm -hmm. (laughs) in contradiction to the holy will of God. This was the first papal statement. 
And so Jesus' response, we all know, is get behind me, Satan. And so this is that a working definition of Satanism is that which is against the holy will of God. So we, we understand from Jewish lore, from sacrificial theology, from Jewish teaching, even into Christianity, the sacredness of the lifeblood of a creature, the sacredness of blood. And the most sacred of blood is the sacred blood of Jesus Christ, mm. which we partake of in the Eucharist. Anything, any other partaking of blood, uh, this was one of the definitions of the kosher practices is that the flesh had to be completely free of blood before one could uh, consume it. This is why there's the law against strangulation. In strangulation, the animal dies with the blood still in the muscles, still in the veins, still in the circulatory system. This is why in the kosher practice and even in our, in our current practice of slaughter of animals for consumption, the animal must bleed to death, meaning the blood, life blood is completely uh, voided from the flesh. This was um, many uh, doctors and others say this is what caused Jesus's death on the cross is the sacrificial blood of the victim is totally drained absolutely drained to the point that it causes death. And so once you get the right use of a particular activity, then you begin to see the deviancy and the satanic aspect of the improper or disordered use. So the idea of the blood being outside of the body for the Jew meant that it was either unclean or it needed to be in the process of sacrifice. Those of you who, who um, modernly we misinterpret uh, the curse of women, uh, whereby this is the monthly flow of blood. Well, the reason that it was called the curse meant the monthly flow of blood meant that she was not fertile. She was not carrying a child. So that um, when a woman has a monthly flow of blood, then the uterine wall sloughs and, and uh, she goes through menses. But the point being is, this is the Jews saw this and the ancients saw this as a sign that that particular cycle, that particular uh, moment in her uh, life was uh, the curse of no life. It was it was a curse of infertility, meaning that fertility is the blessing. So when you see this letting of blood, uh, this goes even in in Druid uh, worship. We see it among Celts and, and Celtic cultures that there is a, a ceremonial cutting or the letting of blood uh, for a non-sacrificial and non-medical purpose is satanic. It's, it's disordered. It's ordered against life. It's ordered against the integrity of the corpus. It's ordered against that which God uh, designed. So that's the first overlay, Jesse, to look at this particular activity. Uh, you know, it's funny the way Hollywood is so fascinated with this drinking of blood. They even got, they have an entire genre of, of zombies the last couple of years, uh, these whole zombie series. And what do zombies do? Drink human blood. Uh, yeah, we, we, the, uh, the other side, Kyle, has a real fascination with the drinking of blood. And the only, the only blood that we want to drink is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ under salvation. We'll be right back. War College, Jesse Romero. Kyle Clement, we're answering questions from the audience. Stay tuned.
Wednesday War College, Jesse Romero, Kyle Clement, answering questions from the audience on spiritual warfare. <clears throat> Kyle, there's a, there, one of the listeners send a question, and his wife, I, I, I met them at the Southern California Spiritual Warfare Conference where you and Father Ripperger spoke. Uh, his wife uh, is being seen by a Catholic priest. Uh, they're doing deliverance sessions over the wife. She seems to have high-level obsession. Here's what he writes He writes to a war college. Um, how does a husband, in a state of grace, over his, uh, pray over his afflicted wife? Meaning, should he try to get information on the demon? Should he try to mimic a deliverance prayer session with a priest? At times, when I pray over my, wife's, my wife, manifestations happen. How can I, the husband combat the demon at that moment uh thanks war college we've been doing really good i'm just trying to get better at praying over my wife and i want to make sure i'm not making any mistakes while praying over my wife dan sent him a prayer i had cc dan so dan sent him a prayer that he's been praying over her uh it's it's a modification it's a it's a it's a longer form of the uh light of christ prayer but what would you tell this uh, this gentleman, Kyle? Uh, what would you tell him to do in, in regards to his wife? It's a very good question. And so um, let's go at it just a couple of different ways. So the scene is Jesse and Anita in a nice restaurant. And um, a guy comes up. They're sitting across from each other. They're celebrating an anniversary. It's a nice dinner. Guy comes up with his back to Jesse facing Anita and immediately within earshot of Jesse begins to uh, make uh, advances and flirt with Anita. Mm. Um, So, so what are you going to do, Jess? I'm going to react uh, proactively. So you're, are you going to ask him, well, tell me a little about yourself. Uh, Tell me a little about why you chose Anita. Tell me a little about, uh, are you going to do any of that, Jess? I'm probably going to push him across the room like a beach ball. And that's exactly the right response here. You don't need a name. You don't need a reason. You don't need anything other than this guy's messing with your wife. And so that's all you need. And then you respond. What does that look like in this spiritual scenario? So his authority comes from two directions. And so let's talk about that authority. Number one, and his, mo- his primary authority is not only natural law, but the overlay of the divine positive law and ecclesial law. They're in a sacramental marriage. They have rights over each other's flesh. This is a one flesh union. So you can drive this demon from her body in the same way you would drive it from yours. You have that that level of authority over her corpus, over her flesh. And so it is very simply, you will not in any way touch my wife by the authority of the natural law, by the divine positive law, by the ecclesial law, and by the sacrament, the power of the sacrament of marriage, you will cease and desist any kind of interaction with my wife. And so it's just that simple. Um, Then the second layer or the second level is um, from with regard to the liberation process. What is allowing this thing to be there? Um, Should 
come out in phase two. If you go through phase one, then you go through phase two. Phase one is going to give you an idea of who he is and how he operates. Number two is going to tell you exactly how he got there, whether it's generational or whatever it may be. The thing about it is, is when we get married, we bring with us all of the soul ties, all of the associations, all of that past life, and we need to be cleansed of this. We really need to teach people in marriage prep, you need to go through uh, the protocol, phase one, phase two, before you're ever married, because this will identify any kind of hitchhikers you got, any kind of Klingons, any kind of influences and relationships that are going to militate against your vocation. You can rest assured that the target is the vocation, and he's attacking the man by attacking the wife. Um, and so that's the short riff on that. Uh, Kyle, so he's also asking, when he prays over his wife, I remember he told me when I saw him at the conference, and he's emailed me, he says, uh, you know, she'll start manifesting. There's a, a, a strong diabolical manifestation. Uh, so his question also would be, when that happens... Does he desist or or does he put the pedal to the metal? Uh, what does he do? It, to, to me, it seems like he gets intimidated. He's Obviously, there's a, there's a fear factor there. So that's his question. When I pray over my wife and I lay hands on her, uh, and I pray that the light of Christ prayer with, uh, that, that uh, Dan Schneider had sent him, he says uh, she begins manifesting. So his question is, how can he combat the demon at that moment? So what's happening is his authority over her flesh is being challenged directly. What you're describing, it's being challenged directly. Mm. And so uh, page 19 of the deliverance prayers for use by the laity is a longer form Latin binding prayer. I would suggest using it, but using the English form, it's at the bottom of page 19. Uh, the other one is, it, this is a this is about, what are you afraid of? Um this is this is about trust. Yeah. This is also about uh, what happens, Jess, if in the scene that I gave you, uh, the guy approaches Anita and uh, he's he's putting the moves on her. I mean, he is rico <laughs> suave. He is putting the moves on her and Jess goes, um, ex excuse me, I, I think I'm going to go to the restroom. Um, what is this that's done for the psychology of uh, both Anita and this uh, usurper? Um, it, it emboldens them uh, toward each other and, and alienates the relationship with Jesse. So make no doubt, this is what's happening here, is the demon is challenging this guy's authority. Now, you also got to look at what is the psychological compatibility that allows him to be there? Does she lack respect for her husband? Does she um, Is she resistant in total subjection to uh, the authority in the marriage and the authority of the church? Also, one of the things that's key here is how pure is he? He said he was in a state of the grace, but how pure is he? How pure is the conjugal act? How pure is their marital act? How pure is their relationship? Because all of this is happening providentially so that all of this stuff gets cleaned up. Got it. Okay, that's, uh, that's a pretty complete answer. Let's, let's move on to another topic. Uh, I think I've talked to you about them a while ago. I'm not sure if you knew of them, uh, but I've heard of them. It's, uh, and I get these questions all the time. I've, I've answered it. I, I'm going to answer the question, then I'm going to want you to clean it up uh, once you hear me respond. But one of the questions that I get often is about this couple 
They call themselves, uh, you know, Catholic uh, demonologists or Catholic ghostbusters. They, they've passed away, rest in peace, Ed and Lorraine Warren. So I get this question oftentimes. They have a website, warrens.net, but it's uh, since both of them have passed away, now their son-in-law, uh, Tony Spera, he manages their website. They're the author of several books. Uh, uh, they have also inspired, according to their website, they've inspired the Amityville Horror. They've inspired the, the, the story to Chucky Doll. They've inspired the story to um, uh, The Conjuring. So uh, I, think, I think their names are even on the credits, as, as I've seen those movies years ago. I'm almost positive their, their, their names are on the credits. So they had something to do with those movies. <clears throat> so the, the question that people are always asking is uh, the Warrens, Ed and Lorraine Warren, rest in peace, in their house, they had an, an entire section where they kept all these items that they got from houses that were, you know, diabolically, you know, infested. So, so people ask me, you know, what's my take on the Warrens? They were Catholics so far as they presented themselves, but some of the things that they did seem to be kind of dangerous. So, uh, my, my response to them is that, uh, again, the Warrens would go into these houses and do, I guess they would be doing deliverance, uh, sessions in these houses. My response is, and you can clean it up, Kyle. I've told people that. Only a Catholic priest can conduct a minor or major exorcism, uh, the latter with the permission of the bishop, or the head of the house can do uh, prayers of deliverance over the house. That's the man. Uh, but again, I think uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren, they've, they've, uh, they've died. They've gone to their eternal reward. And I know there's a book written about, about them called The Demonologist. I've always had a problem with this with this title demonologist. And the reason I, I've, I've talked to you about this is because first of all, there's no such ministry or apostolate in the Catholic church's tradition or in sacred scripture using the word demonologist. So, so calling yourself a demonologist to me, it puts more emphasis on demons than on the work of the holy angels. And so for me, that makes you a huge target for the enemy. Even the great angelic doctor, St. Thomas of Aquinas who knew more about demons than anybody else on planet Earth. He called himself the angelic doctor, not the demonic doctor. So Ed and Lorraine Warren, they obviously had some knowledge of spiritual warfare. I think they came from more of a charismatic background. But as I read their book, they were not very they were not properly formed as Catholics because they would use psychics, they would use clairvoyance, they was they would use mediums. They would use seances along with Catholic practices. We call this syncretism. They would use this in their spiritual warfare against demons. So again, uh, they fell into the sin of syncretism, whether they knew it or not. I don't know. But uh, Anna Lorraine Rorn, they didn't know how to discern the clean from the unclean, the Catholicism from the occult. And the Bible is very clear that we're called to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness but instead expose them according to Ephesians 5.11. And once again, the Warrens also had a collection of demonically infested items that they stored in, in a room in their house, dolls, toys, etc. And again, this goes against what St. Paul says in Acts 19.19, that when you, ha you, weren't, you run across some type of occultic object, you're supposed to, to burn it and destroy it, not store it for, uh, you know, as, a, as, as some type of, a, I don't know, as a war souvenir or something. So, Kyle, 
given the background of the of the Warrens, what would you say uh, as to their practices as, as lay Catholics in, in spiritual warfare? So I would say that they are deviant with traditional Catholic practices. They are consistent with the secular phenomenology that's built up around diabolical, extraordinary diabolical activity. That would be the short answer. Uh, the other answer would be no disrespect intended whatsoever, but we, I would point out that with regard to identifying as Catholic, we live in a country with a Catholic president and a Catholic speaker of the house. Um, they identify as Catholics. And so simply identifying as Catholic is not a test, nor is it a, um, an endorsement. The, um, that being said, one of the key uh, differences that we see is that secular, secular phenomenologists are only concerned with reaction, action or reaction. And so though they may be able to expel demons from a location, they're not doing so with proper authority. Therefore, they, they open themselves up to a great vulnerability. We'll be right back. War College, Jesse Romero, Kyle Clement, talking about spiritual warfare topics. Stick around, don't change that dial. Wednesday War College, uh, we've got Kyle Clement, Jesse Romero. There's a lot of Catholic priests that listen to Wednesday War College. Praise be to God. Uh, Kyle, before we continue talking about the Warrens and some of their practices, I want you to invite people to the uh, retreats that are coming up, be it that you're putting on the Reclamation Theology Retreat and Father Ripperger. If you can invite the audience, please. Oh, thank you, Jesse, for the opportunity. So we're going to have three weeks of retreats, three separate retreats, Reclamation Theology will be June the 12th through June the 17th at Louis Lake Lodge uh, up in the Wind River Mountains, uh, just about 30 miles uh, southwest of Lander, Wyoming. Um, beautiful, beautiful location. Um, and so Reclamation Theology is primarily targeting couples, however singles may come. Um, and it's about recapturing some of the understanding of our, of our Catholic faith. If you listen to the first section with regard to uh, the Eucharist, sacrificial theology, the things that we do daily, the things that we do weekly, the things that we do seasonally, and how they have such an important impact on who we are um, as, as uh, God's people within, within the world. And so the, I'll be leading that retreat June 12th through the 17th. Then June 19th through the 24th uh, is the Father-Son Retreat. This is Father Ripperger, and he's talking about right roles, masculine roles, and the preservation and promulgation of our faith. Um, Louis Lake Lodge is a wonderful setting for this. We'll have pretty intimate contact with Father, uh, close contact. We'll be able to fish with him. We'll be able to do some marksmanship with him. We'll be able to, to have a lot of one-on-one -on -one time, plus listen to some conferences um, that will not be available anywhere else. It's just a wonderful atmosphere. 
then June 26th through July 1st, for the first time uh, ever, Father is offering a mother-daughter retreat. And so this is designed for mothers and daughters, just like the father-son is fathers and sons. Multi-generation uh, are encouraged. In the father-son retreat, we've got grandfathers, fathers, and grandsons attending together. Um, it's amazing the power of gen multiple generations praying together. So those are the three weeks of retreats. For more information uh, and details, please go to Liber Cristo, L-I-B-E-R-C-H-R-I-S-T-O dot org and uh, request more information on these retreats and we'll get you all the specifics. Thank you, Jesse. You got it. You know, Carl, one of the things that makes me, it, it it's, uh, saddens me. There's all these programs on television of, uh, you know, haunted house, you know, paranormal society, ghost hunters. I, I, I'm only imagining that a lot of these young guys are probably fallen away baptized Catholics. I mean, come on, 25% of, uh, of Americans are baptized Catholics. And so at least one out of four of these people that are on these paranormal investigative shows, they have to be fallen away Catholics or maybe even baptized Protestants. And it's interesting to me when I see them, they walk into these what they call haunted houses. They walk in with this, these, these, uh, you know, uh, these tools like a digital voice recorder. Like, you know, I'm going to a $32 tool. I'm going to record the voice of the demon or, or they'll go in with a Canon power shot camera. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to catch this, uh, you know, evil spirit. I'm going to take a picture of him. They walk in with these. This is another one that's funny for $60. You can buy what's called an electromagnetic field detector and apparently uh they're able to to uh discover if there's a ghost in the room they also use another thing called an etec city laser grip infrared thermometer to discover if there's a a, a ghost in the room uh as, as and and uh, another item i've seen in in their toolkit is called a ghost box for $130 this is a ghost box. It's supposedly able to catch all verbal communication with an evil spirit or a spirit in the room. Kyle, these young men have departed so far from the Catholic faith, from a rosary, from blessed salt, from holy water, from a crucifix. How do we get so far in our society where you got people thinking that they can go and ferret out an evil spirit, a demon from a house with uh, electrical gear that you can buy at Radio Shack. How do we get to this point? So let me let me see if I understand this. So we have a faith that the holy sacrifice of the Mass is offered in a codified form in an ancient and sacred language for 500 years, uninterrupted. And then we decide that we will have guitars, tambourines, <laughs> dancing, um, all kinds of things. Um, and, and so we become caught up in phenomenology. This is a, another example of ad hominem or ad populum versus ad orientum. Mm. When the focus begins to shift from creature to cre from creator to creature, then you get drawn into this idea where a person would identify themselves as a demonologist. Um, you know, it's like a doctor saying, I'm a specialist in toe fungus. Okay. <laughs> mm. There's a lot more to health. That's a neat little niche. 
and and it's a it is a phenomenon, but how far into it are you going to get? The idea about someone identifying themselves as a demonologist or a phenomenologist, they're they're focusing on the disorder, not on the order. And that's what happened in the new liturgy. That's what happens in in the new practice. You know, the faith trying to modernize and this all the synod, all of this stuff is 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 uh, continu- contiguous. It's another form of the same manifestation, where you become um, transfixed by phenomenology or by entertainment or by the superficial aspect. And this really draws you away from the profundity of the Trinitarian, the Triune God. And, mm. and who Christ is and who God the Father is and who the Holy Spirit is and who they are in your life that speaks to you in the whisper, not in the phenomenology. The same is happening even with what we would say is devout Catholics who are caught up in apparition but are absent at the Mass. Um, they may be physically there, but they're not, uh, they're not totally immersed in the sacrificial theology that is the sacrifice of the Mass. And so I think it's, it's all different flavors of the same stuff, which is that which draws us away. It's, uh, it's not spiritually nutritious for us, uh, but it's novelty. It is um, something that appeals to our base uh, faculties, not to our intellect and our will. Kyle, Father Ripperger just came out with a new book, one for lay people, one for priests. Uh, the lay person's called the lay book's called Dominion. What can what are the lay people going to learn from that book that they can't get from other books on spiritual warfare or other models of healing and deliverance? So what they're going to get is a great question. What they're going to get is the straight up Catholic truth. What does the church say? What has it always said? Um, consistent with the scriptures, consistent with practice, consistent with moral theology. Um, that's the thing about Catholicism. It is a beautiful interwoven tapestry. And I can't say something today that is not consistent with 20 centuries of Catholicism, no matter who I am, no matter who said, makes this statement. There has to be not only compatibility, but a continuum. Also, it points out clearly um, the the demon lives in the conflict. He he thrives in the in the disunion. He th- thrives in in being the fomenter of discord, um, and so it's a and he's become very adept over the centuries. He has a learning curve. He's become much more subtle. He's become much more skilled at playing us as humans, um, and we've become in fact less skilled in recognizing. Uh, his ploys. Why have we become less skilled is we've given up the properly formed Catholic conscience. We've given up the daily practice of our faith. We've given up all of those things which draw us closer to God. And so we have to reclaim fundamental theology um, and, and realize at some point that anything, most anything written in the last hundred years with regard to theology and especially anything in the last uh, 50 to 60 years is dubious at best. It, it, and it, if it departs, um, if it departs tradition, if it departs faith, if it de- departs what our Lord himself taught, um, then we've got real issues. Um, the fact that we minimize and, and marginalize some of the great deviations, such as homosexuality and, ch- and child sacrifice, 
these are the two things that are directly uh, opposing the integrity of the, and the fabric of humanity at this particular moment. And all sacramental constructs are under attack. Um, Dominion brings this forward in a very clear way. And I'll point out that Dominion is, um, is what God gave us the, the very first blessing. He blessed them saying, go forth and multiply. Subdue the earth and bring it under your dominion, meaning leadership, meaning empire, but from a benevolent standpoint, not a malevolent standpoint. So dominion has become domination, right ordered procreation, true husbandry, right ordered procreation has become uh, perversion, all types of sexual perversion, child sacrifice, all of these things continue and, and they're brought forth, but ultimately they come out of the first two blessings that God says, this is where you are most like me. This is where you are most in relationship with me is procreation and stewardship. And so we've lost this whole sense of dominion. We've lost this whole sense that um, the difference between dominion and domination is dominion is to lead someone. D a domination is to drive someone, is to intimidate, right. is to force, is to, to dominate. Um, and so I think the title of the book, uh, the, the conversations leading up to the title of the book were most enlightening. I would encourage the priest to buy the priest section of this because it, it, there's no secret information there, but it speaks to your priestly heart. It speaks to your vocation and you will see the world and your flock and yourself differently after having read it. The priest book is called Diabolical Influence, correct? Correct. Yep. You're listening to... Wednesday War College, Kyle Clement, my name is Jesse Romero, talking about spiritual warfare. On the next segment, Kyle, I want you to parse the difference. Why shouldn't Catholic priests use mystics during a deliverance session or a solemn session? What's wrong with a mystic, Kyle? We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't change that dial. Wednesday War College. My name is Jesse Romero. We got Kyle Clement. We're talking about spiritual warfare. A lot of Catholic priests listen on Wednesdays. I'm very happy that, uh, that uh, we're able to provide a service uh, using both of these instructors from Liber Cristo, Kyle Clement and, uh, and uh, Dr. Dan Schneider. Kyle, um, there's been a lot of mystics in the Catholic Church. I mean, same, I'm thinking about, you know, St. Padre Pio being one, uh, you know, Venerable Maria Vergreta, uh, you know, Blessed Catherine of Emmerich, uh, Sister Josefa Menendez. So, I mean, there there is a history, you know, Saint Gemma Golgani. Uh, but the question is, what's the danger when priests use a mystic to help them out in their work of driving out a demon from a person who is either obsessed, oppressed, or possessed? What's the danger with having a person to the right saying, Father, do this, do that. Father, it's the demon's name is this, the demon's name is that. What would the dangers be in having a mystic run a healing deliverance session or an exorcism? There's a great 
um, there, there's a great danger. So from a practical standpoint, um, if the mystic is receiving locution and mystical communication, God is not the only one who broadcasts on that channel. Ah, that's good. That's funny. And and so uh, if you're in the squad car, you're, you're car 54. And so they say car 54 respond to uh, domestic, domestic violence. violence. Yeah. Yeah. To, to a domestic violence called uh, at the Regency Arms Apartments. Because they're broadcasting on that channel, you immediately assume that they're legit. Right. So you show up, you roll up there, there's, and then there's actually no call. So you begin to doubt. And so what's interesting to me, and I've been around and watched this, I've been in these sessions a lot, a lot, and sat in with, with priests who are using mystics or sensitives, uh, whatever you want to call them. Um, and almost always, there is a disordered relationship between the sensitive or the mystic and the priest on a personal level. Mm. Um, I think that we need to realize that our Lord Jesus, um, as the as the exemplar of priesthood, there was a distance um, between all the apostles. There was a distance between the followers. There was a certain decorum, if you will. There was there was a certain propriety of how one should discharge their office, and so. On many, many levels, this is um, opens the priest up to, number one, it erodes his authority. So the energumen, let's take it from the, the viewpoint of the possessed person, not the demon, just the possessed person. The possessed person is there. In the throes of exorcism, there's torment, and a lay person says to the priest, put your stole here, do this, do that, um, and the priest does it, then who's in charge? The 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 uh, the mystic or the uh, sensitive, yeah, correct, correct, correct. Now, from a training standpoint, if the instructor tells the priest it would be good to apply the stole here because that's what it says in the rubric, this this is a uh, the role of a gunnery sergeant with a first lieutenant who has some field experience who is simply saying these are the this is the sequence in which you do things. But to identify a demon with specificity or to, to direct a certain prayer to be said at a time, this crosses that line of, of advisor, if you will. This, this crosses that line. And so you, you because the instructor is not operating on any hidden knowledge. He's not saying, oh, this is so-and-so, so you'll have to do this. That's, that's a, I hope you see the difference. Yes, the instructor, that's, it's clear. And so it's like, uh, just he's bringing that experience. But what we see over and over again is the mystics who will say things like, um, oh, you'll have to bless this object. And so the priest blesses it, and then the, the mystic or the sensitive will say, that blessing wasn't sufficient. You'll have to do another one. Boy, this is red flag city. I mean, this, this because he's that the mystic or the sensitive is now directing the priest. And so the priest this anointed and consecrated individual, the priest of the Most High God, is being directed as a functionary. You can see this done by permanent deacons with foreign-born priests 
Uh, you can see uh, lay women do it to priests. Father, we need you to do this, this, and this. It's almost like, here, sign this check because your signature is the one that we need. Never mind reading it. Never mind uh, asking what this is. Just sign it. We, we, there's a, that's a real disordered relationship with priests. So not only does do the demons mislead, their primary objective is to misdirect or to stop the prayers of exorcism. And they do this either by misdirecting subtly laity, which will direct the prayer effort away from a, um, a thing that would be effective. They also do it by appearing and claiming to be um, dead souls, deceased souls, disembodied human spirits, this type of thing. All of this was discussed by St. Charles Borromeo in the Prenotunda section, chapter one of the formal rite of exorcism of 1614. None of it makes it to the modern rite of exorcism. The modern rite of exorcism leaves wide open and encourages the liturgical aspect, the interaction with laity, and this is, this is egregious. This is a departure from tradition. It's a departure from effective things. The other thing that we've seen is when a mystic is used or a psychic or this person with hidden knowledge, secondary knowledge, almost always, 99.9% .9 of the time, the person that's being used as the mystic or as the sensitive is not in a functional vocation. They are not in a functional vocation. More often than not, they're a divorced woman or they are a single woman that is not under authority, right authority of the natural law. And as such, they are extremely vulnerable. Um, we find this over and over again in a couple of cases where sensitives were used. It actually the activity actually destroyed the marriage. Um, and so the integrity of the vocation is very important for those that participate in this ministry. I can't say enough about even those who participate in the charismatic models. If you do, if you're participating without your spouse and you're doing things you're not supposed to do, then the demon at some point is going to take you to the woodshed. If not you, the next concentric circle out, your parents who are dependent upon you for your for their care in their old age, your husband, your wife, your son, whoever, the next concentric circle out, that's where the attack's going to focus. But you look at these people who are who are sensitives, who are mystics, who are psychics, their family structure is an absolute wreck. It's just, uh, it's an absolute wreck. And, and it's usually that way because of the diabolical retaliation. But we know several exorcists who have been taken out in the last few years uh, because of these, the, the use and following the advice of these sensitives or these mystics. And one of the, the key, one of the hallmark moves is that you should play to a larger audience. You have a talent. So you as an exorcist are something special. You have a talent. Um, you as the sensitive, the two of you together make such a dynamic team. You need to take this show, quote, on the road. Why don't you go on the Internet? Why don't you go on television? Why don't you uh, go on EWTN? You need to expand this because ultimately what happens is the sacraments are downplayed through the use of mystics and liberation, whatever it may seem to be, is not sustainable. The vast majority, over 90% of, of, quote, liberations or extractions done with the aid of a mystic and without the knowledge being revealed to the priest through the course of grinding it out, if the mystic gives this knowledge and some of it may be correct, you get an extraction, 
that's not a sustainable uh, liberation because ultimately this person will return. This afflicted person will return. In other words, what you're saying is the recidivism rate is super high uh, under the model where people use mystics versus, yeah, versus grinding it out and getting the person, uh, the, the penitent, uh, to reorient his intellect and his will back to God the Father through Jesus Christ and the sacraments, that's sustainable. That's the person, the liberation is sustained when there's a reorientation of the intellect and the will back to God, right? That's precisely right. That is precisely right. And liberations may be achieved or expulsions or exorcisms may be achieved through a charismatic gift. They may be achieved even through a priest who has a charismatic gift or a gift of exorcism. But that what we find is those are simply not sustainable because they do not uh, they do not augment. They don't grow, strengthen or augment the will of the person. They the demon is extracted, but there's no radical change of life. There's no embracing the faith. There's no return to the sacraments. So they're actually left in a worse state than when they when this happened. There's a great division within the church about this because a lot of the priests, even a lot of them that, that are on the board and instructing at the Leo Thirteenth Institute, ascribe to the use of sensitives and mystics. And what we find is we get their cases on the second and third round, they, they find their way to us and say, you know, I, I was exercised or I went through exorcism with this particular priest. I got liberation, but now it's back or now I have this problem. And so it's like a botched surgery is when it comes back the next time. Now you've got to deal with all the scar tissue. You've got to deal with all the other thing. And immediately uh, you have to set out uh, putting them on the protocol, building their will, building up the, the faith practice, returning to a life of sacrament. Uh, not uh, cessation of habitual mortal sin. And oftentimes these steps are skipped over by the, um, by the charismatic approach and by the sense use and, and employment of sensitives and mystics. Got it. That's very clear. Kyle, thanks. To, thanks so much. This is Wednesday war college. I'm, uh, I'm sure a lot of people were taking notes today. A lot of great information. Uh, you've been listening to war college and uh, we're on here every single Wednesday with Kyle Clement or Dr. Dan Schneider. These are the, both the instructors from Liver Christo. Thanks a lot, Kyle. God bless you, brother. Keep the faith, and we'll see you real soon. Thank you very much, Jesse. I would encourage the visitors to go to LibreCristo.org and ask for more information about those retreats. Absolutely. Hey, up next, uh, hands-on apologetics with the big guy, Gary Machuda. Coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. As for both of us, we are EOW. We are end of watch. God bless you. Wake up, America. Don't hit the snooze button. Jesus Christ is coming back. Are you ready? See you next time. God bless you. Keep the faith.